like for you to turn to the book of Matthew. Thank you for letting me spend uh, these few days with you and be a part of uh, the ministry of what God is doing here in this place. Uh, we're going to, the plan is that we will be spending our time in the Sermon on the Mount uh, tonight, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We will be dealing with chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> and uh, encourage you to use it in your devotions. Uh, kind of go over it yourself, look at it, uh, so that we can come together and, uh, and examine it uh, in the presence of the Spirit together. Uh, but in order to get to chapter 5, you have to go through chapter 4. And to get to chapter 4, you have to go to, through chapter 3. Uh, this is brilliant, isn't it? Uh, so the, the, the context of the Sermon on the Mount really becomes important, especially in the book of Matthew. And Matthew writes different than the other gospel writers do. Uh, he'll, he'll do uh, what, what he does. The, his pattern is he'll... He'll set out a great principle. Uh, uh, what, what would you call it? Uh, a theme. He sets out a theme or he sets out a proposition, a, a key idea. And, and then uh, uh, he will say, hey, let's take that idea and let's take it to the streets. The Sermon on the Mount is that way. Sermon on the Mount makes a great statement. Then chapter 9, he says, let's take it to the streets. Let's, let's walk it. And you've wanted to do that to preachers. I know you have. We've, said, we've stood up here and yelled and screamed at you this great truth. And you looked at us and said, wow, I'd like to grab you by the nap of the neck and throw you out here on my streets. Come and live with my wife, <laughs> you know, and live that. So you've had those feelings, I know. And, and I have those feelings. And, and Matthew says, hey, let's take this. Uh, this Sermon on the Mount, and let's take it to the streets. And Matthew 9 and 10, or 8, 9, and 10 are just the lived outness of the Sermon on the Mount scene. And do you understand that if we, had, if, we, if we had no actions of Jesus, we wouldn't understand his teaching? The reason we know and understand the teaching of Jesus is because we saw him acted out. I mean, he said stuff like turn the other cheek, but what does that mean? Suddenly we knew what it meant. Uh, so Matthew does that all the time. Now he sets up the Sermon on the Mount in that manner. And the Sermon on the Mount has a great, a great premise uh, that we will be dealing with time after time after time because if you don't get the premise of the Sermon on the Mount, you won't understand anything in the Sermon on the Mount. And the premise is given to us in the Beatitudes. And it's in the Beatitudes that he introduces to us the idea of the kingdom of God. It's in verse 3, which is the first beatitude, and in the last beatitude, and this becomes the, the, the bookends of the beatitudes themselves. And so he's presenting to us the kingdom idea. But before you get to the Sermon on the Mount and this explanation that he gives as he's sitting with his disciples, uh, as he shares this great insight into the kingdom of God, there is all of this that is going on in the context that brings you to that. And I want to deal with that a little bit with you uh, beginning in chapter 3. As you walk into chapter 3, he gives you this, this premise. Uh, in verse 1, for instance, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, you know the time setting here. What's happened, of course, is we have the first two chapters of Matthew, which are the Christmas narratives. And by the time you reach the end of chapter 2, Jesus is a toddler. They came back from 
uh, the, uh, the captivity. They came back from the exile, rather, in uh, Alexander, Egypt, and they came back to Nazareth. And the last of verse, uh, chapter 2 and in verse 23, it says, He came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, He shall be called a Nazarene. Thank God for the Nazarenes. Whew. So, here he is, a toddler. Then all of a sudden, in chapter 3, we're into the full-blown adult ministry of John the Baptist. And Jesus is about to launch into ministry, and he's about 30 years of age. So we've lost a lot of years in between there. And uh, Matthew isn't interested in dealing with that at all. So by the time you come to chapter 3, verse 1, John the Baptist is on the scene, and a revival is taking place. And as he is uh, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, he gives us the message of John the Baptist. And you see it there in verse 1 or verse 2, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now you know that no preacher has ever preached a sermon that short. And don't expect it today, I'll tell you that, or any time this week. Uh, so no preacher has preached a sermon that short. But it's the, it's the proposition of the sermon. It's the, it's the message that every message John the Baptist preached was, had something to do with and came back to the fundamental principle of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now note, it's not repent and the kingdom will show up. It's repent, why should you? Hey, the kingdom is here, the kingdom is here. At hand means present. It's knocking on your forehead, man. It's staring you in the face. The kingdom has arrived, and because the kingdom has arrived, how should you respond to that? You should be responding by repenting. Now, to note that that's not just a simple statement that's one time and you bypass it, you need to turn to chapter 4. And if you will go to chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus now has moved into his ministry, and guess what it says in chapter 4, verse 17? From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, and it's the same identical words, same verbs, same tense. Everything about the statement is the same. In other words, John the Baptist was preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was preaching what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the Sermon on the Mount comes out of the context of this repent idea. Now repentance is the Greek word metanoel. It's two words put together, metanoel. Meta is the idea of change. Has the idea of after. Noel has the idea of mind. So it's the change of mind. So the whole idea of repentance is in its basic form is the idea of changing your mind. My wife does a lot of repenting. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a, never mind. Okay, repent, changing your mind. The basic need of the life, changing your mind. And it's 180 degrees, you know, you're going this way, then you're repenting and going this way. So you're changing your mind. Uh, so the idea of repentance, we have we've formulated into a definition, and I want to teach you the definition. It's giving up a former thought. Giving up a former thought. Repentance is giving up a former thought to embrace a new thought. 
You cannot embrace a new thought fully unless you give up a former thought. So I'm giving up this former thought to embrace this new thought. So repentance, every time you see the word repentance, you want to think in terms of giving up a former thought to embrace a new thought. So when you kneel at an altar of prayer and repent, you're giving up a former thought to embrace a new thought. When you're walking down the street repenting, you're giving up a former thought to embrace a new thought. So repentance in its essence we're saying is giving up a former thought to embrace a new thought. You got it? Giving up a former thought. Why are you saying this so often? Because you're not getting out of here until you can repeat this at the door to the ushers. <laughs> giving up a former thought to embrace a new thought. So repentance is to embrace a... That's right. Wow, you're good. Repentance. Now, it's interesting what he does because he lays this out by giving us four occasions of repentance that leads us into the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the four occasions of, of repentance are, you start in verse uh, 5. In verse 5, then Jerusalem... All Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. So the first occasion of repentance is transgressions. Now we have no way to overstate, there would be, you couldn't overstate the wonder of the revival that was taking place. You realize that for 400 years, God has been silent you got the whole Old Testament going on. The prophets, the authentic word of God being spoken through the prophet. And God is on the move with this phenomenal plan. And for 400 years, it's like he shut down. If your wife hadn't spoken to you for 400 years, you'd think she was mad. Some people thought God is mad. God is silent. God has abandoned us. God has wiped his hands. Hey, he's done with us. God is, it's, it's finished. There is no authentic prophet in that 400 years, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Then all of a sudden, hey, the angels are filling the sky. There's the shepherds are running around wild like wild men. Jesus is born. And by the time you get here, you've got the first authentic prophet in the la for the last 400 years. And his name is John the Baptist. Now, he fills the bill for all the, all the prophetic role of the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus said he was the greatest man that ever came out of the womb of a woman. So here's John the Baptist, who is filled with the Spirit from his birth all the way up, who's been in the wilderness. And he is not your average Nazarene, because he took a Nazarite vow. And he took it for life. Now, lots of people in the Old Testament took a Nazarite vow. Some people took a Nazarite vow for six months, for, a, 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 for a, a month or two. But nobody ever took it for their life, only a couple. And here's John the Baptist who took the Nazarite, which all Nazarenes should do, took a Nazarite vow for life. And the Nazarite vow is made up of three things. Number one, you never touch a dead thing. Don't step on cockroaches. Number two, strong drink is out. Coffee is gone. Number three, you never cut your hair. I could go for that. Do you see this guy? This John the Baptist? 
He's out in the wilderness. Nobody lives in the wilderness. There's nothing but bugs and dust out there. It's warm in the day and cold in the night. Hey, nobody goes out there. But John the Baptist is living out there, and his diet is strange, it says. He has nothing but uh, grasshoppers. He eats the legs of the grasshoppers, picks his teeth through their legs, and, 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 and honey, wild honey. And he has a dimple right there in the middle of his chin with a little leftover honey from dinner. And this is a, this is a health food nut. And here's this John the Baptist, and he's wild. His hair, can you see it? Never cut it. So it's all bushy all over the place. And his beard is just, and every time he walks, he just, his hair is flopping and his beard. Can you imagine a pulpit a hundred feet long? And he's down there and then he's over here and then he's up here and his beard is flying all over the place and his hair is he's a wild man and people just came out to watch the show and when they came out to see what was going on they got under conviction it was phenomenal and you have to understand this was not just a start on Sunday morning end on Wednesday night well that was nice kind of deal this was a moving a presence of the Spirit of God. People, people everywhere were literally being moved by it, and it went on day after day after day after day after day, and it just, uh, people began to repent, and it, it was, in fact, the process was you stood up and repented, gave up a former thought to embrace a new thought, repented, and then you were baptized. And the baptism of John was definitely a baptism unto repentance. Now, we understand that. Anybody who's been around the church at all understands a repentance from sin. We all understand that. In fact, you can't begin a relationship with Jesus without that. You can't say, I'm going to continue in my sin, I'm going to continue to embrace my sin, but I want to embrace Jesus at the same time. You cannot do that. That Entering into Christian experience demands, absolutely demands, a change of mind. What I have thought, I'm not going to think now. What I have embraced, I'm not going to embrace now. All the sermons in the book of Acts are literally a confrontation. Listen to Peter preach to the, to the boys who nailed Jesus. He, every sermon is, repent! Why, are, why should you repent? Because you nailed him, now you need to unnail him. You rejected him, now you need to embrace him. You pushed him aside, now you need to bring him to yourself. You need to repent. We're really strong on that. We understand that the door into Christianity, Christian experience, embracing Jesus, is a doorway of repentance. I get on my face before God and I repent. I have been wrong. And I give up a former thought to embrace a new thought. Here's the tragedy with that. Probably every one of us here this morning have done that. So you're saying in your mind, well, this sermon isn't for me. Because I've already accomplished that. 25 years ago at a revival meeting, I bumped my head once down there and then twice down there. And hey, I, I got that under my belt. I don't need to repent. So we dismiss repentance because we attach it exclusively to the issue of sin. And it is. It is attached to sin. 
And there is a repentance that takes place in the transgression. And that's the first illustration he gives. But the interesting thing, folks, is that in the passage, as you begin to move into the Sermon on the Mount, he takes us from this idea of just dealing with the sin of my life, repentance for the wrong that I've done, repentance over sin, giving up a former thought to embrace a new thought. He takes it from just the sin concept to a way of life. A consistent thought process. He almost approaches this thing like you should always live in an attitude of repentance. The repentance is not something I do at an altar of prayer, wipe my hands, got that done, got it under my belt, get it over with, hey, that's finished and done. I am to live within the arena, within the attitude, within the atmosphere of always giving up a former thought to embrace a new thought because God is always taking me and stretching me, bringing me into something new. He never leaves me where I am. There is no comfort zone in relationship with Jesus. Jesus is constantly bringing me into, he's constantly bringing me, in, and I hate this because I hate change. Do you hate change? I hate change. But God is really into change. He really is. If you don't believe me, look at your hair. <laughs> look at your face. <laughs> See, you're changing whether you want to or not. Because God is into change. So God is constantly reaching out, grabbing hold of us, and pulling us into and that is part of what revival is all about. See, it's not just I'm going to kneel here and repent of my sin. That may be. We encourage that. We want that. That is significant. There's no, we're not downplaying that. We're not belittling that. That is important. But ladies and gentlemen, repentance is entering into an attitude, an atmosphere of giving up a former thought to embrace a new thought. And it starts with transgressions. Now let me take you to the second illustration of repentance and show you what he does with this. Look at verse 7. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them. So the Pharisees and, and, and Sadducees have finally shown up at the Jordan River and have attended one of the services. Now they haven't come all this time. But to get the picture, there's been this buildup, this overwhelming buildup of revival going on. Everybody's talking about it. Have you been out there to see John the Baptist? Oh, you need to go. Hey, I'm going tomorrow. You want to go with me? It was all of that kind of stuff going on. And everybody, it says, from all over the area were coming to experience the services and the movement of God that was taking place through the ministry of John the Baptist. Finally, the Pharisees and the Sadducees says, hey... Maybe we need to go look this over. Now, you understand, they're not coming to participate in the services. They're coming like, what would you say? They're coming like youth leaders, youth sponsors to the youth party. We're not going to play the games. We'll eat the free pizza, but we aren't going to play the games. We'll just, we're standing in the back, just putting an eye on it. So here's the Pharisees and Sadducees. Can you see them? They're kind of hanging out in back, and they're just watching, just kind of seeing what, what's going on, what everybody's talking about, see if it's orthodox, see if it's, everything's going the way it ought to. And John the Baptist tears into them, preaches at them. 
Now, he preached to a lot of people, John the Baptist did. It's interesting that Matthew only gives John the Baptist preaching to the Pharisees and Sadducees. If you go to Luke, he preached to the soldiers. John the Baptist preached right directly to the soldiers. He preached to Herod the king. That's how he got into trouble. He preached to, he preached to the publicans, probably the Republicans, not the Democrats, but he preached to the Republicans. See, it, you know, he preached to tax collectors. He preached to all these people. But Matthew doesn't record any of that. The only thing that Matthew records is the message that's given to the Pharisees and Sadducees. What do you have to say to them? Look at this. Uh, this is verse 7. Brood of vipers. That's not very nice. Brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Verse 8. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So John the Baptist says, look, the Pharisees, these guys, do you know who they are? Pharisees and Sadducees looked them right in the eye. The best people of their hour, the most religious, they're on the board, they run the show, they, they turn the lights off and on, they pay the bills. They're, these guys are the most righteous of their day. They keep the law. They're the, they're, they're the elite of the, of the religious sect of Judaism, these boys, he looks them right in the eye and says, hey, repent! And don't pull that on me. We have Abraham as our father. He said, that isn't worth a dime because God can raise up children to Abraham right out of these stones, you old stonehead, you. Wow, that's strong, isn't it? Repent. Now, if I'd have been a Pharisee, which I'd have been a good one, if I'd have been a Pharisee or a Sadducee in that day hanging around that service and John the Baptist preached, repent! You know what I'd have done? I'd have looked at, I'd have looked at my friend and I'd said, of what? I've done anything wrong. Can you imagine getting a bunch of DSs and general superintendents together and standing before them and saying, repent! And what would, of what? He says, I'll tell you what. God is doing a new thing. The kingdom is here. And since the kingdom is here, you need to give up a former thought to embrace a new thought. Well, we haven't done anything wrong. Didn't say you had. Everything we've been doing is right out of the Old Testament. I know. We keep the law. I know. We make sacrifice offerings. I know. We offer lambs, for instance. I know. We keep the ceremonies. I know. We have the feast days. I know. We do the Passover ceremony, just like God told us to do. So what have we got to repent of? Oh, don't you get it? God is doing a new thing in this hour. And the lamb is now here. And you won't need to do any more other lamb ceremonies. You don't need to do the Passover anymore. You know why? Because the lamb has come. And you're going to have to give up the former thought to embrace the new thought. Do you understand that 
in the Passover week, one week's time, there were 250,000 lambs on an average offered to God in that temple. It was like a slaughterhouse. They would slit the throat of the lamb, catch the blood in a bowl, throw the blood on the altar, wash it away, bring the next one in, slit the throat, 250. Every one of those lambs had to be approved by the high priest, and he never approved, or one of his men, and he never approved one that was brought in from the outside. So the only thing you could do is buy a lamb at the temple. They made the budget of the temple. If they made 10 bucks a lamb, man, and you sold 250, and you're going to tell us you're not going to do that anymore. What? You've got to be kidding me. We're going to continue to offer sacrifice lambs. But the lamb is coming. We're going to offer sacrifice lambs. God told us to. We're going to, but God is doing a new thing. The lamb, all that this was based on has now come into being. All that God had proposed here and got you used to was to shift you into the wonder of the Christ who has now come. Come on, man. Give up the former thought to embrace the new thought. We're not going to do that. And in order not to do that, ladies and gentlemen, they had to nail Jesus. Well, what are you proposing, Manly? We are proposing that we do every new thing that comes along? No. Every new fad, every new religious idea, we just, no. No. Are you talking about music? No. I'm talking about God who wants to do a new thing in my life can only do that new thing if I will give up the former thought which he has done, which he set up, which is okay. It's not that I've been bad. We're not discouraging. We're not, we're not belittling what's been happening, what God has been doing in my life. But ladies and gentlemen, you can not stay there because he's pulling on me into a new thing. What is the new thing that God wants to do in your life? Well, he hadn't done any new thing in my life for 15 years. Whoa. Are you worried about that? How long has it been since you came up off your knees with a brand new insight, with a wow, God just spoke to my heart, with a whoa, this is going to change my actions. This is going to change the way I think about things. This is going to alter me. I'm going to have to repent and give up a former thought to embrace a new thought. Have you just been going along like you've always been going along? Oh, pardon me. So the second illustration he gives is an illustration of traditions, repentance of traditions, giving up a former thought to embrace a new thought. Let me take you to the third illustration he gives. Go down to verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan River to be baptized him, baptized by him. Do you know what's going on here? Jesus, for 30 years, has been at home in Nazareth. Joseph has been dead. We don't know what happened, when exactly. Maybe when Jesus was a teenager, we don't know. 
So Jesus has taken over the carpenter business of his father, Joseph, earthly father, Joseph. And when he took over that business, of course, he's been doing contracting jobs and he's been making the money. He lives at home. He's the eldest son. He's been taking care of mother. He's been taking care of his mother. He has his room, his pictures on the wall. He's done no ministry. He's done no miracles. He's done no teaching. He hasn't been teaching in the synagogue. I think he coached the little league team. But outside of that, I don't think he did anything else. So here he is, Jesus, who's been at home all this time. All of a sudden, can you see him? He comes to his mom and says, hey, mom, I'm leaving. Oh, you are? Yeah, I'm going to go see my cousin. Oh, John the Baptist? Wow, good for you. When are you going to be back? I'm not going to be back. Well, I will be back, but I won't be back like I am now. What are you talking about? Things are going to change, mom. Listen, I'm moving everything out of my room. I've taken the pictures off the wall, put, it, I'll put them in a box. They're up in the attic now. You can have the room, turn it into a sewing room. Hey, I'm not going to need it anymore because I'm not coming back. I've gotten, I put some money in the bank, collected from the last contracting job, put some money in the bank. Hey, I talked to one of the other boys, and they're going to take care of you. But, I, hey, things are going to change. What are you going to be doing? I can't tell you exactly. Where are you going to go? I don't know exactly where I'm going. What are you going to be doing? Hey, I don't have all the details. I only know that things are changing, and I'm headed out. I'm going down to John the Baptist. What are you going to do down there? I'm going to repent. What? Jesus repenting? You can't be baptized by John, brother, without repenting. Because John the Baptist is a, is a baptism unto repentance. Well, Jesus had never sinned. I know that. I know the Bible says, tempted at every point like we've been tempted, yet without sin. But we're not talking about sin. Well, what are you talking about? We're talking about here I've been for 30 years in my, in my direction, in what I've been doing. It's all been good. But hey, a line is being drawn and I'm going to move into. And Jesus is repenting, giving up a former thought to embrace a new thought. And it's being launched at this repentance period when he's moving into a baptism experience where the Father through the Son, through the Spirit, is going to fill the Son and he's going to march into a whole new three years of ministry, end up on a cross, and a, redemptive, and a redemptive process is going to take place. And where did it all come from? Repentance. Jesus repented. Now I know we've often looked at this and said, well, Jesus didn't really need to be baptized under repentance. He really, he was just, it was a token. He was faking us. I will not accept Jesus being a fake. He was baptized into repentance, and the repentance was authentic because, folks, repentance is an attitude of giving up a former thought to embrace a new thought. And it isn't just about sin at the altar. It isn't just about traditions, God pulling me into a new thing. It's about ministry. And can you see Jesus who did not need to repent of sin and did not need to repent because he was holding on to tradition, but is moving into a whole new phase of life. Whoa! Wouldn't it be something if God is calling you to repent? Give of a former thought of what you've always done, of what you've accumulated, of what your plans have always been, of what you've always, and move into a whole new vision of how he wants to use you 
Wouldn't it be interesting if Jesus would ruin your retirement plans? Would you repent? Well, I've had one standard in my life all my life. I'll never help in the nursery. Wouldn't it be interesting if Jesus wants you to repent? <laughs> well, it's just not my personality. I'm not, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not used to that, and I'm not good at that. Wouldn't it be interesting if Jesus is calling you to repent? Well, what if I won't do that? Well, Jesus, you just stay at home. You just keep doing your carpenter business. You just keep, you just keep taking care of mommy. And a world won't be won. And redemption will not be shed. And the destiny of God will not be accomplished in your life. And the whole plan of what God has wanted from the beginning of time is shut down. Wouldn't it be interesting if God, do you realize your fingerprints are different than anybody else's? Your DNA, I, I tell this to our guys all the time, your DNA is different than anybody else's. Have you looked at your face? Nobody looks like you. You're one weird dude. Somebody's gone to a lot of trouble for you. Why would he do that? Because there's a destiny all wrapped up in your life. There's a destiny and a plan that, that, that David says, back in my mother's womb, before my mother's womb, God was literally shaping me, forming the substance of my existence, bringing me into the fullness of what he wanted me to be. He was mixing up my substance. Got to have a little of that. Got to have a little. Oh, I've never made anybody like this. And he popped me out of my mother's womb at the exact time he wanted me. And all wrapped up in my life is a destiny and a plan of God that is so absolutely important that my world will not be one if I don't repent. No pressure. But do you see how important this is? So repentance, giving up a former thought to embrace a new thought. Now, there's the fourth illustration, and I know sermons only have three points, but I didn't write this. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. Now, what's going on here? All of the life of John the Baptist, his whole ministry, his whole thought process has been what? forerunning the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. So Jesus, you must increase. I must decrease. That's been his whole, that's protocol. Jesus is the big deal. I'm fading. I'm not the big deal. See, Jesus, if I baptize you, John is saying, if I baptize you, I'm saying I'm the big guy. I'm, I'm the guy in authority. I'm the guy in charge. You need to baptize me. 
that's the way it ought to be, so I'm not going to baptize you. And I wish you could see this in the, in the original language. It's really strong. It's not, it's not, oh, you're kidding me. It's not that kind of a deal. It's an argument. They had a blow-by-blow blow argument over this thing. John says, I'm not going to baptize Yes, you are. No, I'm not. I can't because it isn't, doesn't fit my protocol. It isn't the way I've always done things. It isn't the way I think. It isn't what I'm called to. Jesus turns to him and says, listen, John, verse 15, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Could God be doing a new thing, John? And hey, what you are about as a forerunner, God bless you, I'm for you, you're fulfilling your destiny, that's good. But in this moment, at this time, are you willing to repent that something might take place that's bigger than you are? And ladies and gentlemen, when John the Baptist and the man called Jesus went down into the Jordan River and came up out of that Jordan River, the sky split wide open. When two men repented, the sky split wide open and the Father descended. The Spirit descended and the Father spoke. Giving up a former thought to embrace a new thought. Repentance. Are you willing to repent? Are you seeking? Are you hungering? Are you thirsting? Are you... See, the whole Sermon on the Mount is going to spill out of this repentance idea that Jesus, I'm wide open, because Jesus is going to present this radical concept of the kingdom and all that that means. And are you willing to give up your former thought to embrace this new thought? Will you go with me on this? Will you seek with me? Are you just going to... Jesus I cannot apply this to anybody's life here but you can what is it in our lives that you're calling us to what are you going to be putting your finger on this week in this revival in this service what are you going to be speaking to us about in these moments that's going to require a giving up of a former thought to embrace the new thought? Don't let us get stagnant. Don't let us get comfortable. Would you leap off of the pages of the Word of God? Would you reveal yourself to us in a whole new way? Would you take us where we are to where you want us to be? Would you go to the depths of our hearts? Would you talk to us about relationships that we should have moved on a long time ago? Would you, would you, talk, to about, would you talk to us about things where you want us to go that we've never gone? Would you, would you, would you come to us? Would, would, you, would you, in the depth of our inner being, would you wrap our, your arm around our insides? Would you, would you stimulate? Would you reveal? Would you speak? Would you... Would you give us a chance to respond?
Heads are bowed. Hey, I don't want you to go too big on this. I want you to think of one thing in your life. One thing that has been bothering you. One thing that has been... Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a hatred. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's... I don't know what it is. Could he be calling you to a new activity? Could he be calling you to a new ministry? Could he be... Could, could, have you gotten comfortable? Maybe he's just speaking. To, are, are you open to this? Would you be willing to kneel before him today on just maybe one thing in your life and say, hey, God, I'm repenting. Whatever you want to do, I'm wide open to it. I'm giving up a former thought, releasing what has been in order to take on what is to be. I'm moving into repentance. Our altar is a great place of repentance. It's not just for sin. It's an attitude. An atmosphere. I want to live on the edge of my seat, constantly responding. Hey, no pressure. Not intimidation, but invitation to a state of repentance, giving up a former thought, to embrace a new thought. Maybe you say, well, God isn't speaking to me about anything. He's not talking to me about anything. Would you, would you still kneel? Would, would you get on your face? Would you kneel before God? And would you say, I'm willing for you to speak to me? I'm open. In the spirit and the attitude of repentance. Hey, I want to live there. I'm going to kneel. I want to repent. I want to live in the repentance. Giving up a former thought. To embrace a new thought. So our altar's open. You want to join me in seeking him? Be obedient. All heads bowed, all eyes closed as we, um, as we respond in these next few moments. Who would, who would just by uplifted hand just say, however God calls me to repent, I'm willing to repent. Could you just lift your hands and show me, see all these hands? Uh, I just ask that you wrestle with that. If God's um, speaking to you, the altars are a great place just to, to talk to him for a few moments uh, about this kingdom of repentance this kingdom of change. And I encourage you in these next few moments just to, to, to allow God to speak and, and, and listen. Our Heavenly Father, um, right now we give you thanks for repentance, for conviction, that, that your spirit does not leave us where we are. You, you don't leave us in our sins, but you call us to a point of repentance through conviction, Lord, but it's not just sin that we repent of. Lord, all of us come to these places in our life where you're calling us to something new, something better. Now, not that the old is bad, not that, that we're leaving something that, 
was terrible. But Lord, what you have in mind is better. And Lord, we achieve that through repentance. And in fact, you've called us to this, this kingdom of repentance where our mind is set on the things that you have in mind. And, and Lord, as, as you move, we move. As you, you draw, we follow. Or we think about Jesus who is willing to repent of his past life, not, not an evil past life, a good past life, to grab hold of your mission for him. The dynamics of that baptism. The Lord's invitation to us to examine our lives, to examine where we are, to examine the things in our life that we call good and determine if you're not calling us to something better. Lord, may we not become complacent, satisfied. May, may we not just rest on our past spiritual experiences. But Lord, may we constantly strive for more. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord, not to be content with where, where I've been, but Lord, to be always striving to follow you ever closer. Lord, even as um, Dr. Manley spoken today about this, this ideal, this, this privilege of repentance. Uh, you've called me to a point of repentance, of letting go of how I've thought about things in the past and, and grabbing hold of new thoughts that, that are your, your direction for me. And, and Lord, I, I pray that all of us will be open to your spirit Lord, it's so easy just to go through the motions, to, to live in the past, to live in the comfortable, to live in the easy. But Lord, we look at Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith, who, who chose not to um, just live in heaven, but chose to empty himself and take on the personhood, humanity, Lord, and, and even in that humanity, he didn't choose just to live uh, a, a life of, uh, of comfort in Nazareth, but he let go of that and entered into a ministry that um, drew him to a cross. Lord, may we be willing to carry our cross as well, <laughs> to change our minds and our thoughts on what it means to serve you and serve you in a way in which you consume our entire being. Now, Lord, we're thankful for the message. We're thankful for the messenger. We're thankful for your word. I pray now, Lord, that as we take these, um, these words, they won't be words for a moment, but they'll be something we'll continue to examine through the week. That as, as you move in our life, and, and Lord, you sometimes move in unexpected ways and unexpected times. As, we, as you move, Lord, we won't wait till gathering in here but will allow you to move as your spirit wants to move. And Lord, as we gather back here on Sunday night at 6 p.m., uh, we'll be celebrating not just what you're going to say fresh and new at 6 p.m., but we're going to be celebrating what you've said throughout the day. Be with, with us, Lord. Guide us. Keep us in your will. Keep us in your spirit. Keep us attentive to your move in our life. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.